0: Hello and welcome to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by 90 Min. As ever, I'm your host, Harry Simeon. The sun is shining here in London. We finally got a bit of summer after a whole month pretty much of clouds and rain and miserable bloody weather. Uh, so delighted that the sun is shining. Uh, delighted that I'm here with you guys uh, bringing you another edition of the podcast. And uh, before we really get into it and before we we talk about what it is that we've got on the schedule today, which is what is Arsenal's best 11 when everybody is fit? Because we've talked a lot about the, the struggles at the start of the season. We've talked a lot about how Arsenal have been impacted quite severely by the absence of a number of players. And so now that it looks like we've got almost a a clean bill of health, we are going to look into this and we are going to discuss what is the best starting 11 that Mikel Alteta currently has at his disposal. So looking forward to getting uh, into that. But I just want to say before uh, we dive into that, thank you to everybody who tuned in to our first Arsenal women's podcast yesterday. Now, the audio numbers have been incredible, much more than what we expected for the first show. So on behalf of myself and Casey Bourne, we'd like to say a massive thank you to each and every one of you who took the time out of your day or who will take the time out of your day moving forward to listen to those Arsenal Women's Podcast. It was great fun to do. It was refreshing talking about an Arsenal team that's a little bit more successful uh, than our current men's team at the moment, but it was really good fun. Looking forward to bringing you those shows over the course of the season with some special guests coming up as well. Uh, So yeah, it was great. And uh, thank you again for all the support. Let's say a few hellos to some of you in the live chat. Let's say hello uh, to Nishith uh, to Peppa Pig, to Said Abdullah, to John Daly, to Sonny De Niro, to Josh, to Alejandro, to Afsar, to Yo-Yo, to the Modern Guna, to Matt, uh, and to everybody else watching this live, or to those of you who'll be watching this back, and of course, our audio listeners. Hope everybody is well, and as I say, enjoying uh, the weather if you're based here in London, because we don't get it that often, so when it does come, you got to make the most of it. Right, Let's get into it. What is Arsenal's best starting 11? Now, I've been scratching my head um, over the last sort of 24 hours trying to work out what 11 I was going to name. And I think there are certain parts of the 11 that name themselves. I think when I looked at the back line, I found it really, really easy. When I moved into midfield, I found it a little bit more difficult. And then when I moved into the forward positions, even more so. So there is quite a lot to think about here. And there is quite a lot of debate to be had. And we're going to be having that debate, of course, in the live chat box as well. So uh, feel free to chip in. Feel free to share your views and your thoughts on the topic we are discussing. And I guess the first bit you've got to kind of decide, and I guess the first point of call is how do you want to see Arsenal line up? do you want to see Arsenal playing in the 4-2-3-1 system that we saw in the second half of last season? Do you want to see Arsenal playing in a more conventional 4-3-3? Or would you prefer to see Arsenal playing with that back three, with wing-backs, a two-man midfield, and then a front three? That is the big question. And actually, when I thought about it, I couldn't decide. The formation, the system... Is, is obviously very important. I think there will be games where we are better suited to the 4-2-3-1 and I think there will be games where we're better suited to playing with the three at the back. So I'm going to name my best 11 in both of those two formations. I think it's really, really important that Arsenal are able to switch between the two depending on the game coming up. I always say that you can't have a plan B without having a plan A. And for me, in my mind, the plan A is the 4-2-3-1. However, I also acknowledge in games like the game against Chelsea, like the game probably against Brentford as well, uh, we do need to be able to revert to that back three sometimes. Again, I don't think Arteta got it wrong in picking the back three against City either. I just felt like some of the personnel choices were a little bit strange. And so we're going to get into it, but we're going to share my best 11 in both of those formations so that we can try uh, and and cover all eventualities, all bases. And uh, let's kick off then with the 4-2-3-1. So I had to think quite long and hard about the goalkeeping situation because I've always been kind of torn on Berndeno. On the one hand, I've always thought he's an incredibly good shot stopper, somebody who at times can pull out the kind of save that you know, could could earn Arsenal points, that could win Arsenal games, that could be the difference between winning or losing. And there are plenty of goalkeepers over the years who have had that ability, but at the same time have been a little bit vulnerable in certain situations. And that is how I feel about Burn Leno. I do feel he's a little bit vulnerable when it comes to set pieces. I don't feel he's as dominating of his area as he could be. I think he's one of those goalkeepers that prefers to stay on his line. And I personally and again this is my personal choice prefer goalkeepers that do come out and claim balls where possible uh, where there is not that big a risk you know where the opportunity presents itself I want to see my goalkeeper come out and take the pressure off of his defense and I don't feel like Bern Leno does that well enough I also don't think that Bern Leno is good enough when it comes to distribution. Now, we've talked a lot about that. We've talked a lot about that being one of the primary reasons that Arsenal identified Aaron Ramsdale as somebody to come in. Is Aaron Ramsdale's distribution top, top level? Is it Edison levels? No, it's not. But it's better than Burn Leno's, in my opinion. I think he does have a better range of passing. I think he's better at decision-making in those situations. Do you go long? Do you go short? I think more often than not, Ramsdale makes the right decision, whereas Leno for me, uh, and again, this might sound like harsh criticism, has been a bit of a robot in that sense, as in terms of Mikel Arteta clearly wants Arsenal to play out from the back. And I think that Leno has struggled at times to differentiate between when he should follow the manager's instructions to a T and do what it is that the manager's asking, and, and when he should actually go long, ignore the manager's instructions, if you like. I know no manager wants their players to ignore them, but I don't think Berlino makes those decisions well enough, enough of the time. And that's my big, big issue with him. Having said that, it sounds like it's really clear cut, doesn't it, that I'm going to put Aaron Ramsdale in goal, but it's not that clear cut for me. It is a problem. Uh, it is a decision that I really, really struggle to make because... You know, with Ramsdale, there are question marks over him as well. We've only seen him playing in an Arsenal shirt in that very, very comfortable Carabao Cup win at West Bromwich Albion and people had reservations about Ramsdale when he came into the club because of his time at Sheffield United and Bournemouth. This is not clear-cut. This is not straightforward for me, but if we're going to keep talking about Arsenal building for the future, if we're going to keep talking about the fact that we're going to have to probably accept that for a while the results are not going to be at the level that we want them to be in order for us to eventually get back to where we want to be, then I think that you have to lean towards Aaron. Ramsdale, I really do. Burn Leno is someone whose future is uncertain. That you know, there's been a lot of talk about his future. Will he even be an Arsenal player come next season? probably not. And Mikel Arteta has to find the balance here between finding the players that are going to get us results today, now, so that we can maintain that minimum standard that is expected of a club like Arsenal. But equally, he's got to build for the future. Otherwise, what was the point in spending all that money on Aaron Ramsdale? And what was the point in spending all of that money on a group of players with very much the future in mind? So for me, I'm going with Aaron Ramsdale as my goalkeeper now feel free to disagree in the chat let me know why you disagree if you do Uh, but I can see there's quite a few comments uh backing Aaron Ramsdale here uh let's see what we've got let's see what we've got here um Yo-Yo says Leno is no better than the likes of Niemi Friedel and and wow you're taking that back a bit uh he says he's best when tested often uh Sean says Leno reminds me of Shea Given. Uh, Adam says, um, interesting. I think Ramsdale communicates more than Leno. I don't disagree with that. Um, Michelle says no need to explain Ramsdale in no debate. Bonds says, I like Ramsdale so far, but we've seen very little of him as an Arsenal player. Leno has had good runs of form too. Yep. Agreed. Uh, let's see what else we've got. Sooty FM says that Ramsdale will be our new seaman. Uh, Yo-Yo says Leno's head is no longer at Arsenal like most of the senior players, but he's the best goalkeeper at the club. Uh, Josh says, in all fairness, I hope Ramsdale can establish himself. And Dan Price says, agree, but Leno has never had the respect he deserves. Kept us afloat with Oba under Emery. Yeah, I don't I don't disagree with that. I don't disagree with that. So I've thought about it long and hard. As I say, it wasn't as clear cut as it is maybe for some but for me, I'm leaning towards Ramsdale just because I've not been particularly inspired by Bern Leno of late. And I do worry about all of those things I've mentioned and, and those elements of his game. And I do feel as though they are a constant problem. I feel like the lack of domination in the penalty area, I feel like the poor communication and I feel like uh, the poor distribution is is something that keeps cropping up every single week with Arsenal. And that really, um, that really does frustrate me. I think when you make the same mistakes over and over again, you got to start to ask questions. And that's why I've leant towards Aaron Ramsdale on that one. Now, moving into the back four, this was really easy for me. This was really, really clear cut. For me, it's Tomiyasu at right back. Otherwise, what the hell was the point in signing him? Uh, I want Ben White on the right of the back two. I want Gabriel as the left centre-back and I want Kieran Tierney at left back. Now, the reason I've gone with this personnel as well, and the reason I think that Mikel Arteta will probably go with this personnel or should go with this personnel and identify Tomiyasu as the right player to come in is because of his ability to tuck inside. It's because of his ability to become part of a back three. That is really, really important to Mikel Arteta. We've seen it over and over again since he took over the club. And given Arsenal's reliance on Tierney going up the left-hand side, you'll be in a position where you could see Arsenal really quickly shapeshift into this back three here with Tommy Yasu tucking in field. All of a sudden, you've got a right-back who's capable of playing at right-back, but also tucking in as a centre-back. And when you think about the way we've started this season, when you think about all the things we've struggled with, when you look at how poor we've been defensively, the goals we've conceded, it's really important to note that if we do go with this back five, including the goalkeeper of Ramsdale, Tommy Asu, White, Gabriel and Tierney, that is four, four out of five being different to what we played against Chelsea and with Manchester City with. So it is a massive, massive difference. And it's why I've been saying over and over again, yes, it was unacceptable, the performance against Manchester City. Yes, I thought we got it tactically wrong against Chelsea. But actually, if you change this much of the personnel, you should see a different result. If you don't, then you start asking questions of the manager. You start asking questions about the way we've been set up. But for me, when you can change the whole backline completely, like we could do, then obviously that is a very, very different proposition. So my backline was really easy Uh, to decide on. It's Tommy Asu at right back, Tierney at left back, Gabriel and White as the two centre-backs with Ramsdale in between the sticks. Now, moving into midfield, uh, there's been a lot of discussion about the midfield this summer. It was the area that I believe Arsenal needed to improve in most. And when I look at the transfer window that we've had, it's the area in which I've been most underwhelmed. There's debate about Ben White. There's debate about Odegaard. I accept that, you know, they are valid debates. I might not agree with all of the points made, but I do accept that there is a debate there. I think with the midfield, though, I think there is no debate. I think we've really failed to strengthen that area sufficiently in order to push on and try and achieve our targets. You know, we were We were in a place last season where we were well off the mark. We were nowhere near good enough. And now we're in a place again, I believe, where we could have done more. We've got some decent players in there, but we don't have any top, top quality. You know, Thomas Partey's yet to really prove himself in the Premier League, yet to really prove himself as an Arsenal player because of injury. And we're relying on, on Granite Xhaka, who there are question marks about. We're relying on Sambi Lakonga, who is somebody who I think has got a really, really bright future, but it's clear isn't necessarily there just yet. And it's a real weakness in this Arsenal team. But having considered everything, having thought about the way we're setting up, the way we want to play, the fact that Tomiyasu will tuck in and become part of that back three, and now maybe less of a need for our central midfielder to do that, to be the one that tucks in. I think that we can leave Granit Xhaka out. I really do. Obviously, he's suspended now, but we're talking about Arsenal's best 11 when everybody is fit and, and and available, of course. And I just think that given the way we've started this season, there is a clear desire, there is a clear intent from Mikel Arteta to see his team push higher up the pitch, to squeeze people, to try and press a little bit more aggressively. And for me, Granit Xhaka doesn't fit in there. And that's why now that I'm looking at the way we've started the season, I'm asking the question as to why we kept hold of Granit Xhaka, why we gave him that contract. At the time, I didn't think it was a bad idea. I looked at it. I thought 12 million was an insulting offer from Roma. I looked at the fact that we were playing this 4 2 3 1, and I looked at the fact that he was the man that was tasked with more often than not dropping into that back line, allowing Kieran Tierney to move forward. And when we were in a defensive shape, just protecting that back line. If you're going to ask Granite Xhaka, and I've said this over and over again, to squeeze people up the pitch, to try and close down, to be part of a press, he is not going to succeed. It's clear. He's a good player, in my opinion, but one with limited attributes. And that he, those limitations mean that he can only play in certain systems. I thought last season our system suited him, and I thought that's why he had his best season in an Arsenal shirt. Sure. But if we're going to move forward with this more aggressive press, with this new style, then Granit Xhaka doesn't fit into those plans. He's a good deputy to have. He's a, he's a leader in and around the dressing room. I know a lot of people have taken issue with off-the-field stuff over the last... Uh, few years. I know people have taken issue with some on-field stuff as well, but I I still think Granit Xhaka can do a job in your squad. I just think if you want to press, if you want to be more aggressive, and if you are looking to build this team, then you need to go with Lokonga alongside Thomas Partey. You need to give Sambi Lokonga the game time. You need to give him an opportunity to get up to speed, to adapt to the Premier League, and he will be obviously a lot better in that kind of more aggressive press that Arsenal have looked to adopt in the early stages of this season. I think that there are question marks around the compatibility of Lokonga and Partey at this point. Obviously, we've not seen them play together. But when I think about the two, I feel like they're a little bit similar in what they like to do. They obviously play in a deeper midfield position, but both are quite keen to progress the ball forward quickly. Both are very good at breaking the lines. And I wonder if actually having both of them, you know, yes, it might feel like they're a little bit similar, but does that give us a little bit more impetus on the counter attack? Does that allow us to move the ball forward with both of them having that capability? Just that little bit quicker, that little bit quicker that makes all the difference when trying to catch defenses out. I don't know. You know, we're going to have to see. It's an untried and untested partnership. And I'm kind of at the point now where we've seen at the start of the season, obviously, we've got players missing. Uh, You know, we've seen that we're going to be in a position where this season is going to be a tough one. You know, just like last season, I don't expect Arsenal to be cruising towards the top four. I don't even expect Arsenal to be cruising towards the top six. I think top six would represent a good season for us. But I do feel like, to me, you know, If we are going to adopt this project and if we are going down this route that Edu has spoken uh, at length about in recent weeks, then you kind of have to say, well, if that's the way you're going to do it, then do it. Then go all in on it. Don't half-arse it. Don't say we're going to build for the future and then keep picking players week in, week out who are not part of the future, who are not going to be here in maybe a year's time. Look at the future. Aim for that. And I think as Arsenal fans, um, maybe I shouldn't speak for everyone, but I think if we knew that that was the idea, that we were building for the future and that this team was going to be the team moving forward and that we were a little bit more settled in our selections, I think a lot of us would accept that there will be ups and downs. But we're doing it with a view to gaining in the long term. And I think it's easier to accept when you can see the plan clearly. What we haven't had so far is a clear kind of understanding of how it is Mikhail looks to proceed, how it is that he looks to take the team forward. We haven't seen a settled formation. It keeps changing. Uh, We haven't seen a settled system. We haven't seen consistency in the selection process. And it becomes really, really difficult to stay on board with this plan and with this project. But I just think that if you are going down that route, then do it. Don't half ass anything. You either go for the route of experience like Antonio Conte does at clubs he's been at previously, and you go out and you shine the players that come in and they make the difference now. Or you adopt this longer-term thing and you say, right, let's pick these players week in, week out. Yes, there will be rough patches. Yes, there will be bumps in the road. But we know where we're trying to end up. We trust that these are the guys to take us there. And we're going to give them uh, the opportunity to do that. Adam says fans are more forgiving of young players over experienced players making the same mistakes. Agreed as well. but that's that's what I'm going with. I'm going with Lakonga over Partey. Uh sorry, Lakonga with Partey, Lakonga over Xhaka. Uh ajid F32 says Lakonga over Xhaka. Is this still about what's best for the squad, or are we going for favourites? Now you can't say to me <laughs> that I'm I've got a thing against Granite Xhaka. I've probably been the most vocal defender of Granite Xhaka uh, around in recent times. But for me, it's just it's just one of those things where I'm basing it on what I've seen at the start of this season. And I have seen Arsenal's midfield push further up the pitch. I have seen Arsenal's midfield look to be that little bit more aggressive. And I don't think that Xhaka fits into that. And that's why I'm starting to ask questions about why it was that we kept him. Now, I agree that you don't want to weaken the team. I don't agree, um, you know, why you, uh, you know, I don't agree that. Sorry, I've confused myself. I don't agree that, you know, people should that we should have allowed Granit Xhaka to go for the money that was on the table. I don't agree that we should have weakened ourselves and put ourselves in a position where we would have struggled for depth had we let him go. I still think he's one of the best two or three midfielders at the football club. And I've, you know, I just feel, as I keep saying, I've, I've just come to that point over the last couple of weeks where I feel as though we need to just, if we're going down this project route and this rebuild route and we're looking to bring in these young players and that's the plan and Edu's talked about the structure and the fundamentals and, and building, you know, a solid base, then go with that. Go with that and and move forward with it and and give it a go. And if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. But, you know, does Granite Xhaka improve us that much that putting Lokonga in alongside Partey is, is a really outrageous call? I don't think it is. So uh, that's that's what I'm uh, leaning towards on that one. But it's not uh, a thing with favourites for me. It's a thing of, if we're going with this plan, let's embrace the plan and let's move forward with it. Moving into that uh, number 10 position, I actually am going to go with Martin Odegaard Listen, I really like Emile Smith-Rowe in that position. I think he brings a lot to the team. But when I explain the rest of my selection, I think you'll understand why I've gone with Odegaard over ESR in that particular position. And the the one attribute that I think Martin Odegaard has that maybe Emile Smith-Rowe doesn't, maybe Emile Smith-Rowe will pick it up over time, maybe he'll develop in that sense... But I do think Martin Odegaard is a lot better at releasing the ball quicker, at spotting a pass quicker and playing that pass and executing that pass and releasing teammates. I think with Emile smith row, he's got a lot of things going for him. I love the way he carries the ball. I love the way he dribbles. I love the balance that he shows. I love the way he can get to the byline and still has that presence of mind to look up and pick out a player rather than just aimlessly putting the ball into the penalty area. But I just think in that position, it's really, important, particularly if you're going to go with the front line that I'm going to go with, that you have a player that is capable of spotting and exploiting those gaps sooner rather than later. I feel like ESR just takes a little bit too long in that sometimes and prefers to carry the ball rather than release it, in which case he could fit into my team somewhere else. So Odegaard is the man for me in that number 10 position. Up top, I'm going with Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang because I still despite all the criticism he's had in the last, you know, 12 months or so, I still think he is the best goal scorer that we have at this football club. I still think he will give you more goals than Alexander Lacazette over the course of a season. I know it was very close last time around, but he missed a lot of games. I just feel like Aubameyang, being the captain, being the talisman, being the leader, should be in the side. And I feel like with Odegaard in there behind him, he will get better service than he would have done under Emil Smith Rowe, not because Smith Rowe's bad. Again, just because of the 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 way they operate and the suitability uh, factor. So, Aubameyang leads the line for me uh, in my best Arsenal eleven. Let me just uh, drop that back a little bit so you can see it a little bit clearer. Now, on the right hand side, I'm going to go with Nicolas Pepe, and again, this is to do with a number of things. I think he's very, very. Um, dangerous. I think he's had bad games in an Arsenal shirt. I think he's always been haunted by the fact that Arsenal paid £72 million for him. That conversation is always there. It never goes away and, you know, it won't because of that price tag. But I do think he's a massive, massive goal threat and only uh, Lacazette and Aubameyang scored more goals than Nicolas Pepe last season. He contributes. Whatever you say about him, as frustrating as he might be at times, Nicolas Pepe always, always contributes. And I think that he is somebody who's incredibly underrated, and I think that he should play uh, from the right-hand side, especially with someone like Martin Odegaard, who I believe will be able to pick him out, and we'd be able to play a little bit more off the shoulder. We'd be able to get Nicolas Pepe drifting inside and almost putting himself on the on the centre-back or, or sometimes on the full-back and, and looking at Martin Odegaard to release the ball uh, that little bit earlier uh, and play him in. I think he he always carries a threat. I think he will drift inside, um, to good effect. And I think with Tomiyasu, someone who is going to tuck in a little bit as the fullback, not necessarily bombing on, on the outside of him and not occupying the spaces from which Nicola Pepe likes to work, I think that that could be uh, a good combination, those two. So, yeah, I'm going to go with uh, with Pepe on the right. And on the left, I'm going to go with Saka or ESR, maybe depending on the opponent, maybe depending on fitness. Um, you know, I think that ESR obviously has that ability to pull in from the left-hand side, which then creates more space on the overlap for somebody like Girantini, who's obviously key to our plans when it comes to moving forward. I think Saka is obviously a great player. I, I'm just, this is my thing, okay? I've talked a lot about giving young players the opportunity and how we need to look at the young players and how we need to, you know, give them that that chance to kind of develop and, and take the team forward and, and almost learn you know, on the job and, and get to that point where they need to get to so that Arsenal can get up to the highest level. But this is a really, really, really unpopular opinion of mine. Really unpopular opinion of mine. I know because I've had people come at me for saying it, but I don't think that between Saka and Emil Smithrow, they contribute enough in terms of goals and assists. They don't. That is a fact. That is not my view. That is fact. Talked about it on that recent podcast that we did, comparing the squads that Unai Emery and Mikel Arteta had. You looked at people like Henrik Mikitarian producing more in terms of goals and assists than Bukayo Saka. Emil Smith Rowe, you know, didn't produce as many goals and assists as Alex Iwobi under Unai Emery. And the point I'm trying to make here is that, yes, they are fantastic young players, but they need to be treated as fantastic young players and not treated as world beaters who are going to drag us over the line week in, week out. First of all, because you're not going to get the results out of them straight away that you need. And secondly, because it's not fair on them. It's not fair on them at this stage in their careers to be put under so much pressure because they they really are. You know, we've gone into this season having not really added to that forward line and going, well, you know, we've got Saka and Smith-Rowe. Don't worry about it. Let's sort out the defence. Let's sort out other areas of the team because we've got Saka and Smith-Rowe. But you are putting way too much expectation on those two guys. The reality is they don't produce outputs at the level that they need to for them to be regulars in a team looking to qualify for Europe. That's the reality. You know, you look at so many other teams around us, You we're going to be competing... With the likes of Spurs, for example, look at the outputs from Hume Min Son, who plays in a similar position. Look at the outputs from some of Manchester United's midfielders, Bruno Fernandes, for example, Paul Pogba in terms of assists. Not on the same planet. You look at some of the other teams as well. You look at, you know, Mateus Pereira at West Brom last season, more outputs than those two guys. So... There are a lot of examples. Another one, El Ghazi, Aston Villa, examples of players that are producing more outputs in those positions. I am not for a second saying that Saka and Emil Smith-Rowe are not two of my favourite players, or that they will not go on to be really, really key cogs in this Arsenal side moving forward. But them sharing the responsibility, I think, is better Then both of them being in the side week in, week out and being expected to deliver because the honest answer and the honest kind of account that you can give and the honest viewpoint, if you really look at it objectively, is that actually they're not going to produce with that level of frequency, not at this stage in their careers. And therefore, it's unfair to put them under so much pressure. So that's where I am uh, with that. Give them game time. You know, we've got the cup games as well. Give them opportunities. Of course, I don't know that all of them will be fit all of the time. And so Mikkel's going to be forced into making changes, I'm sure. But for me, those two players, as Nikomo says are a little bit overrated among the Arsenal fan base, not because they don't have potential, but because they're not there yet. And we have to be realistic about that. Personally, it's one of the areas I'd have addressed as manager uh, over the summer because I felt that it was an area where we did, we, we were painted almost this false picture that they are ready, but they're not you know, the new contract for ESR, the new contract for Saka before giving ESR the number 10 shirt. Great. You know, I do think he is part of the future of this football club, but that kind of painted this picture that he is ready to lead us right now. And actually, I think that Martin Odegaard is more ripe than Emil Smith-Rowe at this moment in time. It's one of the reasons I wanted to see him sign. And the fact that he's a little bit different um, is, is another reason why I wanted to see him come in as well. So that is my strongest Arsenal 11 at this moment in time, if everybody is available. Ramsdale in goal, Tomiasu, White, Gabriel and Tierney across the back line. A midfield duo of Sambi Laconga alongside Thomas Partey, Martin Odegaard just ahead of them, Pepe on the right, Saka or Emil Smith-Rowe on the left and Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang through the middle. And remember, look, we've got players that can come in and, and help and complement this team. You know, you talk up front, we could bring in Alexander Lacazette. Gabriel Martinelli is also somebody who can play a part. You can play Emile Smith-Rowe in that number 10 position. You've got Granit Xhaka to come in in midfield. When you talk about the centre-backs, you've got Rob Holding who can come in and do a job from time to time. You've got Pablo Marie there as well. You've got Tavares now in the left-back position. And of course, you've got Callum Chambers and Cedric to backfield Tommy Asu at right-back. So Arsenal really do have... Uh, a lot more depth this season than they did last season. And that's the kind of drum I've been beating throughout this transfer window and throughout the kind of reviews of the transfer window is that, yes, we haven't dramatically improved the 11, maybe not as much as some people would want, but actually we're in a place where we are now able to backfill some of those positions in the event that we're missing players through injury, and I believe that that played a massive part in us underachieving last season. Didn't wasn't the only factor, wasn't the only reason, but we did miss Partey for long periods. Never had anybody to backfill that position. Nobody good enough anyway. We missed Tierney for long periods. Never had another left back at the club to bring in and cover that. So we are um, we are in a place where we are a little bit stronger as a squad. But that's the team I would go with, given everybody's fit. And I know a lot of people disagree with my view on Saka and Emil Smith-Rowe. I think they are fantastic players. I really, really do. Please do not mistake what I'm saying for being any sort of criticism towards the two. I just think you can't really rely on those two at this point in their careers. You know, at 19 and 20 years of age to be delivering the outputs that we need them to deliver week in, week out for us to get to where we need to get to. And, and that's my view on it. And feel free to disagree. Of course, I'm, you know, I'm always open uh, to respectable debate or respectful debate in the chat box. Right. I said I was going to do the team uh, if we switch to a four-three-three as well. Uh, so let me just quickly do that because it's not really all that different. Uh, the front three slightly changes for me uh, because I think it becomes then Saka or Pepe. I think Odegaard stays as part of the forward line. I think that when you're talking about the extra defender, I think that obviously Gabriel and White stay in the team. I think Tomiyasu tucks in as the third centre-back Tierney in the left wing-back role. And I would take out uh, the other, well, I would bring in Ainsley, Maitland, Niles as the right wing back. So that's how my team changes and shifts if we're talking about playing with that three-man defence. So Ramsdale in goal, Gabriel White, Tommy Asu, the three centre-backs, Tierney as the left wing back. I would bring in Ainsley, Maitland, Niles uh, as the right wing back. Laconga and Partey would be my midfield duo with Odegaard being that Creator player with a little bit more technical security as part of that front free with either Saka or Pepe uh, from the left side with Aubameyang through the middle. So that is my team. Uh, when I if we play with a 3 4 3. So I've said that you know I wanted it to be a 3 4 3 in certain fixtures, um, that's the way uh, I wanted it to be. You know, I, I do think that there is a need to be able to play both ways. I think there is a need to be able to to shape shift against certain opponents, and and this is how I would shift that shape and shift that team. So just to recap for the audio listeners who don't have the benefit of the graphic, uh, I'm going with Ramsdale in goal, back three of Gabriel, White, and Tommy Asu, Tierney left wing back. Maitland-Niles is the right wing back because I still think he's the best suited to that role. Whether he wants to play there or not, I don't know. Uh, but Laconga and Partey would be my midfield duo with a front three of Saka slash Pepe. So one or the other uh, with Aubameyang. And then I would go with Odegaard as, uh, as the third uh, attacker. Maybe Smith-Rowe as well, but just I want one of our front three to have a little bit more technical security uh, than what we see. Uh, without Martin Odegaard or Smith Rowe in it. Because I know some people would say Saka Pepe or Bamian gives you lots of pace, lots of running, but doesn't give you that technical security, in my personal opinion. So that's what I would go with. Right, now is the time uh, to head over to that chat box. Get some of your questions in there. Uh, I would love uh, to go through some of them. Um, and, and I'm going to take some of your comments as well, just while we do that, while you're filling up that chat box, just a quick reminder that this podcast is brought to you by the wonderful people over at manscaped.com. So for all your male grooming needs, head over to the website, uh, check out their fantastic range of products, get your, sh- your shit in order basically. Uh, and you can do so by entering our discount code Ninety Min 20, which will get you 20% off of your order as well as free worldwide shipping. Also, uh, while you're at it, make sure that you hit the like button on the video if you haven't done so already. Whether you're watching us live or watching this back later, there are 276 of you watching live on YouTube right now, but we've only got 50 likes on the board. We should at least be able to get that up to 100 with no problem. So please do so if you want to go one further by supporting the channel and becoming a member, you can do so by clicking on the join button below the video, or if you're listening via the audio, you can click on the link in the description, and we'd love to have you. Right, let's take um, some of your thoughts and some of your questions. Let's take this one uh, from uh, Sooty, and it's a really, really good question. He says, Martinelli's not mentioned in your teams. Interested in your thoughts on him, mate? I don't feel like Martinelli is, how do I put this without it coming across in the wrong way? I don't feel like Martinelli is as ready as a lot of people think he is. And I, I say that for a number of reasons. I think that he is very direct. I think he is very impactful in that he comes on and he gives you a lot of running and he's very kind of robust and he's very south american if that makes sense in the fact that he chases balls down i think when we have seen martinelli play though in the front line recently i'm not sure he's given enough to the team as a whole. I think his build-up play is not great. I think he's a little bit messy at times. I talk about technical security in that front line. I think that's really important, and I'm not sure that Martinelli always gives you that. I think that there is plenty of time for Martinelli to play. I think I've named those teams as my starting 11s, but you know that there'll be players missing. You know that there'll be players who Uh, You know, we'll we'll get tired in certain games and around the 60, 65 minute mark, you can start to make changes. I think he's an impact player at this point in his career, Gabriel Martinelli. And I'm not sure he is better than Saka at this stage overall in terms of what he gives you. I'm not sure he's going to be able to produce the outputs that Nicolas Pepe does. And I'm not sure he's better than Smith Rowe at this point. And so for that reason, to to put him fourth in that list it means i can't possibly put him in my starting 11 but i accept that people want to see him see him play i accept that people want to see him given him more opportunities and i do feel like he's regressed a little bit under mikel arteta largely because he hasn't been picked enough um i talked a lot last season at length about you know about his recovery from that injury that he picked up and the fact that Arsenal were very careful with it. He himself has been quoted as saying that Arsenal were very careful uh, about it uh, as well and, and he understood why they were so careful about it. But for me, what you need to see from a lot of these players, these fringe players, if that's what you want to call them, is when they're given the opportunities, they grasp them with both hands. And I think during his days under Unai Emery, and again, you could put a lot of that down to the playing style, I felt Martinelli grasp those opportunities every time they came along, every time he played Europe, he was brilliant. Every time he played in the Carabao Cup, he was brilliant. But I don't feel that when he did get opportunities last season, albeit not that many, he was as impressive. He was as ready. He was as kind of complete. And I do think, again, it's partly down to that injury picked up and the recovery is a long one and it takes time to get up to 100% sharpness. I expect Martinelli to get game time this season as an impact player, as a sub and in the cup competitions. But when he gets those opportunities, he has to really take them. And I'm not sure that the opportunities he did get last season, he grasped them with both hands. A lot of people have mentioned in the chat that he wasn't very good at Brentford in the first game of the season. But I don't really pin that on him. I don't think he should have played. I don't think you know he's he'd came, he'd come back from the Olympics, wasn't at tip-top condition, and due to those COVID cases, we had to throw him in. So I don't really hold that against him, but I do want to see more from Martinelli when he does get the opportunities this season to tell me that he is a hundred percent ready. And I actually a lot of people have a big gripe with Arteta about the treatment and the handling of Martinelli. But when you look at some of the performances of late, you can't really have too much of an argument with that. What we're seeing in Martinelli, or or what we're wanting or expecting from Martinelli, is based on what we saw from Martinelli eighteen months ago, and not necessarily what we've seen from him in the last twelve months. And that's the that's the difference, you know. So th- that's where I'm at am on it. But I know that there will be people with a different opinion, and that's fine. Uh, it's just how I see the situation at this moment in time. Mr. Master says, uh, do you think Arteta should be sacked now? If yes, then who will replace him? Will it work? I personally think we should give him time, at least until January. I think if it turns out good, then we keep him. Look, it's one of those things where I've said it repeatedly over the last few days. I don't want to go too far down this particular rabbit hole, but you sack Mikel Arteta, fine. But you've got to replace him with better. You've got to replace him with a ready-made manager. For example, Antonio Conte. I'm not saying that that's close to happening, but you've got to replace him with someone of that ilk who you believe will take the club on to the level that we need to be at immediately. If you're going to sack him to bring in another, let's say project manager, then you've pulled the plug on this project too early, in my opinion. That's my personal view. It's all dependent on who you're going to bring in. It's like I've got. A, I used this analogy yesterday. I've got a car that I love. But if somebody offered me a brand new Porsche, I'd swap my car. doesn't matter that I love it and that I like it and it's the car that I wanted. Actually, if somebody offers me a, a car that's undisputably an upgrade, then I will take that and I will move forward. And that's the way I see the Arsenal managerial situation. If you come to the table with an option, a realistic, feasible ball option, who is ready and willing to join the club now, then let's do it. But if you're going to piss around like Arsenal did previously for a month, mucking about, looking for the right man, going through the recruitment process and taking your sweet time about it only to appoint another project manager, then what is the point? So that's where I'm at on this. um, At this stage, let's see uh, what else we've got. Uh, Nishith says, do you think by playing a back three, we can play both Lukonga and Partey, who are both box to box and be a little bit more attacking. Uh, it might give us that security to do that. But I think although on paper, it'll be a 4-2-3-1, if that is what Mikel goes with, because you never know with him. I do think a lot of the time it is a back three. I do think that Tomiyasu will become part of that back three when Tierney bombs on. And there you've got that little bit of added security, and that allows Lakonga and Partey to, to play together. Lokonga's talked about people telling him in the past that he's better as a number six, that that's his best position. Partey described himself as a little bit more as a number eight. So I don't think they're completely similar, but they, I do think there are similarities um, that make me not worried about that combination, but a little bit unsure about it. Um, but equally, as I said earlier on, you're kind of at the point where you just say, well, F it, let's do it. Uh, this is the future and, and let's just let's just go with it let say this one from uh, Bonstay says, unrelated to the current squad, but why do you think Saliba chose to play in France instead of England if he wants to break into the Arsenal side? I think it's about comfort. It's about being in his comfort zone. And I think actually that, look, I'm not I don't even know what to say about the Saliba situation. And I'm always reluctant to get too deep on this because we don't really know the ins and outs of it. We don't really know what went on behind the scenes. But I think the fact that he keeps wanting to go back to France kind of tells you that he doesn't really back himself in the Premier League. And he's come with this big fee and he kind of feels as though Arsenal owe it to him to be started in week in, week out because of the fee that they paid for him. A fee, which, by the way, was over the top and, and a fee which was part of why Arsenal moved uh, Raul Leahy out of the door. So I think the fact that he keeps going back to France is is a sign that he obviously feels more comfortable there. And I worry about that because I would have, if it were me, I would have said, well, yeah, let me join a Premier League club. Let me join Newcastle United or whoever else was rumored to be in for him so that I can get up to speed with the league. Am I going to have difficult moments? Is it going to be very different to playing against Arsenal? Yeah. But I need that adaptation period. And I think even if even after this low move to Marseille, they're going to be question marks again about whether whether Saliba can cut it in the Premier League. And we shouldn't have those question marks three years into his Arsenal career. So that's an an issue for me. I think the the good thing though and the better thing about him joining Marseille than when he went to Nice last season is that he is joining one of the big boys of French football, one of the clubs where the expectation is there every single week. He'll be playing in Europe as well, which is obviously great experience. So I do think there were worse clubs he could have joined. I think Marseille is actually quite a good fit. But me personally, I'd have preferred him to stay in the Premier League for the reasons I've just mentioned. Uh, let's see, uh, what else we've got? Uh, Paul Gaia says he doesn't back himself talking about Saliba, but has never been given a chance. Oh, Harry. So why didn't he back himself to go and join a Premier League club? Then we know Premier League clubs were interested. You know, why, why not? Why not? I just can't get my head around why he wouldn't say, you know what, Mikel, if he feels that aggrieved about being left out, why wouldn't say, right. Let me go and join one of the clubs that you're competing against in the Premier League then. And let's see how we go. Let's see how we go. And I will show you that I am ready today to do it in this league. And he didn't want to do that. He had no intention of staying in the Premier League. Okay, you know, some of the clubs that were interested aren't the most glamorous of options. I accept that. And Marseille is a much bigger and glamorous club. I get all of that. But I just think that that would have been the way to go. And And a bit like Joe Willock, where, you know, he he proved himself, he showed himself to be at a very good level at Newcastle United, and it was a win-win situation for Arsenal. Either you take a player back who has proven himself at Premier League level and you integrate him back into your squad, or you cash in on him for big money. And I don't think you'll be able to do that with William Saliba. I don't think you'll be able to know really either way with William Saliba and this loan move at Marseille. Not as clearly as you would be able to tell if he'd spent some time in the Premier League, in my view. Uh, Gare McCulloch says, do you agree this is a good transition season, relatively solid depth in most positions? Uh, now I no European football. Perfect time for fans to let the club steady this ship and get us out of this. I think that we have to accept that the transition and the building of this team is going to take longer than we'd all like it to. Agreed, Gare. But the only issue... Is have I said your name right? If I haven't, please correct me, like spell it out phonetically in the comments. If I've made a mess out of that, I'm really sorry. Um, But yeah, it's going to take time. We know that Edu's come out and said that. And I think we can all, if we're being sensible, we can all see that it is a longer term project. The issue is, though, that Arsenal have a minimum standard, in my opinion, a minimum standard that needs to be achieved. And Arsenal's minimum standard is being in the in the European places. You know, that is the very minimum. Years ago, I would have said the minimum was being in the top four. But as I've talked about many a times, the landscape has changed. You're now talking about big, big clubs with big, big, vast amounts of money. Um, and there are more of them now because more of them have emerged. You know, you talk about... When we were finishing in the top four every season, well, Manchester City weren't top four regulars. Uh, you know, Liverpool were were hit and miss. Chelsea, you know, obviously emerged in around the 2004 season, but then Tottenham emerged, and it's become more and more difficult. And Leicester are now there as well. So, I just think that for me, you can say it's a transitional season, and I'm quite understanding of the fact that it's going to be that, and that last season was that, but you need to maintain those minimum standards that a club like Arsenal need to be hitting. And, and that's my big worry. And that if you don't hit those minimum standards, if you don't meet that kind of objective, then, you know, no manager, I don't think, can have any complaints if he is pushed out the door. So that's, uh, that's where I am on that. But I think we're going to leave it there. Uh, thank you for all your brilliant comments, questions. Uh, please do hit that like button if you haven't done so already. Let's have another quick check in uh in where we are in terms of likes it really really does help uh the channel as i've explained to you guys on multiple times if you're listening by the audio uh please do leave us a review we're still not on a hundred likes but there's there's enough of you watching guys just please hit that like button it really really does help and of course subscribe to the channel if you are new I'll be back very, very soon with more Arsenal-related content. Until then, take care of yourselves. Stay safe. And if you're based in London or wherever you are in the world, if there is sunshine, get outside and enjoy it. I'll catch you all very soon. Until later, take care. You're listening to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast.